Uh, What's up, everybody, and welcome to Not Available, the Internet's only streaming service podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. I'm one of your hosts, Adam Howard, and with me, as always, is Ricky Attinger. How are you doing, Ricky? Hello, everybody. (laughs) And our first ever guest, I am so excited to introduce to the Now Available listeners. This is kind of like, I'm getting to the point of announcing it, and I'm kind of freaking out, but it's okay. Uh, so, joining now available, Nick Scarpino, the producer slash seducer. Welcome. What's going on, guys? Thanks for having me. Woo, thanks for coming on, man. Yeah. I always sure. get that thing whenever I have a guest on our podcast, if I'm hosting, it's I'm totally fine, but then I get to where I have to say the person's name, and I start freaking out, and my brain goes blank. And it happens every time I host podcasts, and it especially happens when I'm hosting comedy shows. Where I'll be like, the person's name is just John Smith. And I'm like, you're, I'm just like, I can't get the word. I have to like visualize how it's spelled. So I have to look at people's names before. Anyway, happy to be here. Yeah, that's exactly what I just went through where I was like, yeah, terror. Where I'd been like rehearsing it, rehearsing mm-hmm. it in my mind. And then I'm like, um, because <laughs> the worst thing you don't want to do, you don't want to speed through it and then mispronounce the person's name. And then you have to be like, oh, I know, I know your name. I invited you to be on this podcast, but I called you Rick. <laughs> Our Eno or something weird like that. I here's my question for Ricky before yes. we get on the topic of movies. Do you do people give you the Jon Snow shit a lot? Like, do people say you look a lot like John? Like, you know nothing, Jon Snow? Is that how Adam <laughs> talks to you a lot? Am I allowed to say swear on this? Sorry. Oh yeah, yeah, you can, go, yeah, you can swear. Um, no, I haven't got that one in a while. Because uh, you, you look like a cooler, like hipster version of Jon Snow. Like, you do know something, Jon Snow. Like, I know ooh. you know something about weed and craft coffee. <laughs> You're not far off, honestly. Hold on, let me cool. put my Nick. I bought I I bought this hat out because you oh, have an orange hat. There it is. I love it. I have an orange and a yellow, and I love them both. And I need a new one because I've had too many pictures taken of me, and then now people start making fun of me. That's how I felt about this one. Uh, because I've had this for a bunch of years, so it's like filthy, like it's disgusting. Um, you can you can wash them, but you know what's funny is I washed mine and it shrank, and now I don't like it as much. So I, I refuse oh. to wash my orange one because I like it to look like a little condom tip at the top, like I'm <laughs> practice, like I'm promoting safe sex while I'm out there, you know, talking about my you know jokes or whatever, <laughs> or whatever. Uh, or yeah. Whatever. So did you ever have to um uh take like a razor blade to get all the like the runs off of it or what are these things it's like pills or something pills yeah they actually yeah. have a d-pillar um there's a there's a tool you can buy called the d-pillar that'll actually it's kind of like you, you you run it over that but no because at the end of the day i i will wear something until it's like falling off me and then um there's something you can do that will reinvigorate your wardrobe it's called get married and your wife will just go and go nope and she'll just take that and be like this we're done with this and you just have to let go and it's part of the fun of having a partner that you trust she just goes it's time it's time it's time to let that go and it's so that's that's what i get to look forward to then i recommend (laughs) it it's really nice because the at its best when you're married you have a partner that compliments you and can be like and can step in where you are where where you need where you need you know and so my mm-hmm. wife will always be like I think that this is cute now but like after a year or two she's like you've you've worn that those same shoes for two years straight it's time to just let them go it's it's nice I'm like okay yeah okay. yeah I'm I'm engaged so I now that you're saying that stuff I'm like now noticing it like the f as you're saying it it's giving me the epiphany that I'm like. 
that did happen with my shoes. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Well, you know, it's funny because as, as, as I mean, it's not necessarily a guy thing. I think it's a single person thing. Um, but I do think that a lot of a lot of my observations have been that guys, for the most part, are the ones that like, you know, you get comfortable in what you got. You don't necessarily want to go shopping. You don't necessarily want to do these things. Maybe it's not our thing. And when you have someone else in your life that's witnessing your life and they're seeing you, you see yourself through their eyes and you're like, oh. Oh man, I got to get rid of these jeans. These are some schlubby. I've had these jeans since college and trends have changed. You're no longer wearing baggy jeans. People aren't wearing boot cuts anymore. Maybe it's coming back. I don't know. Actually, they're coming back, but I digress. It's, uh, it's, it's fun. And congratulations on your upcoming nuptials. Um, Thank you. I love it. I think it's, I think it's a fun thing to be married and uh, I think you're going to enjoy it. Does your, and are your wife's okay with you having all those figurines in the background? Yes, actually. Surprisingly. Yes. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah, like, those are the first things that are going. All those toys, mm-hmm. get them out of here. Well, it's it's funny because obviously, like joking around, obviously, right? Like you, you get married to someone, and, and the the old joke is like, "Oh, your wife's going to make you throw all your toys away." But like, we're we're obviously living in a generation where where all of those things were like the kids who played with those are now adults. We are those people, and and my wife respects the hell out of that. Although in this room, I was like, I was going to put a Batman figurine, like like a little Funko Pop, right on that that bookshelf and i i got the the veto on that one i got the hard pass on it and it was okay it wasn't so much a verbal thing it was a look and i'm like i i'm gonna back away from the bear slowly the bear is not happy yeah this is actually me and my fiance's apartment we have a two bedroom so this is like kind of our That's studio because she does well this we this is actually both our studio because she oh, does cool. like she does like podcasting stuff too. And like, that's what she went to school for. So we both kind of work in here and this is just kind of where most of it got put because mm-hmm. she's like, we aren't going to have all that stuff out in the living room. It's kind of yeah. just off to the side and then in the back. But I, I mean, think, I think it's good to ha- have that, those boundaries and to have and be able to share spaces or have your own little space too. I think that's important. For sure. I have to agree with that. Yeah. Rick, you got a dub space too. You got, you look like you're on the upper level of a, of, of your place and you're just yes. totally dialed in. <laughs> Yeah, I got I got lucky with this uh with this room. It's like angled. It's perfect. It's cool. Yeah, like it's it. it's really neat. I put a lot of I put a lot of thought and effort into it. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I appreciate like how that, I wanted yeah. everything to look because my old room was an absolute mess and it was like so cramped. I have way too much shit. Like you can see all my like sneakers, mm-hmm. or like there's only some of them. Like I That's... I didn't have enough room for them all. So would you consider yourself a sneaker head? Uh yeah, a little bit. I I also yeah. work at um a leather boot factory. Like I make leather boots. Interesting. You mm-hmm. make leather boots? Mm-hmm. Like I, I do like hipster. stitching and stuff. Yeah. No, I knew it was a hipster. I saw the glasses and I was like, <laughs> he does one of two things in his spare time. He either throws axes or makes leather boots. And I <laughs> really? that's it. That's the thing people do in Austin. The hipsters in Austin go like, let's go axe. Let's. They have bars where you get drunk and throw axes. And I'm like, this doesn't sound like those two things should go together. Alcohol no. and axe throwing. But they do. Well, it's Austin. There's no rules in Texas. If you want to go truly to a place that has absolutely no rules and no state income tax, go to Texas. Okay. Okay. I'll check yeah. it out. Yeah. I, I read uh, Matthew uh, McConaughey's uh, biography, and he talks about how like he – his family lived next to a lumber yard and he'd go and just steal pieces of wood and ended up building like this massive, like couple story tall tree house and everything. And like, nobody noticed. He nobody just, just kind of did it. 
They don't care. It doesn't matter. It's Texas. How was that? That's an interesting read. Maybe I'll read that. I love reading people's biographies, specifically like creators, directors. The last one I read was mm-hmm. an RIP, but I read Richard Donner's um, biography, which mm-hmm. uh, the book itself was not very well written. I think it was kind of one-sided where it painted uh, Donner as this like godlike figure who everyone loved. I'm sure that's not necessarily the case. Which, you know, you have a three or four or five decade career in filmmaking. Someone's going to be pissed off at you. Um yeah. But it kind of went into all of his uh, his issues he had with making Superman and all this backstabbing there a little bit. But it was it's so inspirational to read about how he created those and like his approach to storytelling and why he could make these ridiculously outlandish action pictures like Lethal Weapon, but still have there be some realism in there and still have you care about the characters. And he just had some very core tenets that I thought were really cool. But so I, lo- I love reading about that stuff because it inspires me to sit here and play Warzone. That's what's up. Yeah. Yeah. That's fun. Cool. Um, Nick, so I got to tell you how I got into this, this whole thing. Okay. Give it to me. All right. So go back to the year. I think it's like 2018. Um, this is the first time I went to E3. Okay. And I got to meet you guys there. Oh, cool. And like being in that whole thing, like being in that environment and stuff is like, oh, this is so cool. Like I want to be like a journalist or something like in this field. So I come back home, I sign up and I like start taking classes at my local community college. And that's where I meet Adam. Right. Mm -hmm. And we immediately bond because he's wearing a kind of funny shirt. And I was like, I I walk in, I'm like, dude, that's a sick shirt. And then like, we've been friends since then. That's awesome. Uh, and it's dude, it's been a it's been a wild ride, like to see how Adam yeah. too has like grown as like because I'm way older than him, like, <laughs> uh, so just just to see him go through all the steps of like I don't know growing up is like crazy. Yeah. I would have never had that had I not found you guys and not gone to E3. That like that that whole thing got like the snowball rolling. I'm ex- that's that's good to hear, man. And that's and that's kind of like. That's what's cool is is just where you find inspiration for things like that. And then you kind of get on the right path and you meet people that become sort of almost your family and they want to create and they want to do cool stuff with you. That's part it's like that honestly the best part of my job is to that what you just described. I had that situation happen to me when I came to IGN and found people that were kind of like-minded and and when we were all able to put that stuff together. Um so yeah, that's really cool to hear. Thank you for that. Yeah, dude. So yeah. thanks. Thanks you guys for that. Yeah. Our pleasure. Our pleasure. Yeah, because I've out. I've been listening since since you were on Smodcast, probably was the first time I listened listened to you guys. So long, long did time. You actually, ago. Did you actually hear us through Smodcast? Yep, that's actually how I found you guys. Wow. I, it's it's kind of weird because I started with Comic Book Man, like Kevin Smith's AMC show, mm. and then started going to like Fat Man uh on Batman as one podcast and then to Smodcast, and that's how I found you guys. Mm-hmm. At the point like because that was back in 2014, right? Yeah, Something that would have like been that. around that, probably 2014, yeah. I probably shouldn't have been listening to that, considering I was, at that point, I was like 14. Bro, I mean, I saw all of his movies <laughs> when I was 14, so it doesn't matter. I, I watched Chasing Amy and Mallrats and all those things when I was when they came out in like theaters and or, you know, straight to whatever they came out with. So, I mean, I, I'm, I feel like people don't, especially now, they just don't trust that kids are able to deal with stuff like that like mature like that and i i mean i grew up in the 80s when people when my mom would sit me in front of the tv and be like Go watch whatever you want and i would immediately pop in robocop and, it, and she would just like whatever he's gonna figure it out and I, I you turn out okay i think it's good yeah you know i mean obviously it's a joke smodcast is a, just kind of a joke podcast um yeah. i was actually bummed when we did his podcast though because i was hoping to meet Mosier, but you know oh, those, right. 
he's too, they're, they're all too busy. And I, I, you know, Kevin Smith used to do like 40 podcasts, but he'd do like all of them so irregularly that you wouldn't even know what you're getting. So, <laughs> but that was, you want to talk about a day that I think back to and doesn't seem real. It's the day that we, I, we knocked on Kevin Smith's door and he opened it and he's like, come on in guys. And I'm like, what is this life? And we sat in his office with just rows of his scripts to the right of us. And like, I'll never forget Colin, like pulled out the script for like one of his original shooting scripts for, I think it was clerks or mall rats. I think it was mall rats. And he was just like, what the fuck? And I'm like, I don't know. Just go with it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, we kind of looked at each other, all of, all of us. And we were like, we'll just freak out later. Now we'll just kind of, when he asks, if Mr. Smith asks us questions, you talk, but don't talk too much. <laughs> Don't and like and then it's one of those situations where you're like you become very aware of your hands, what your hands are doing. You know, where you're like you're so trying to stay in the moment, but then all of a sudden you see yourself and you're like, why are my hands articulate? You're just too much. Then you overcompensate and you just hold your hands like this, like to yourself ten, ten and two. Um, I don't know. It's uh that was really really fun. And then I was like, oh my god, we're gonna be best friends with Kevin Smith forever. And I think Greg still keeps in contact with him, but the, it turns out the man's very busy, very, very busy, man. Super busy. Yeah. yeah. Has a heart attack, decides he wants to make movies again, that sort of thing. It's, and he's making them. He is making them. And I'm excited for him. I'm excited for whenever Moose Jaws is going to come out. Yeah. There's oh. that one, Clerks 3. Uh, there was a Mall Rat series kicking around at some point somewhere. But He did. What did he do recently? He did, yeah, he did. Well, Clerks 3 is supposed to come. Mall Rats was supposed to be a TV series for a bit. And then that kind of yeah. fizzled. But he did. I'm trying to think of the movies that came out. He did that one with with Harley Quinn and Johnny Depp's daughter. Yoga Hosers. Yeah, Yoga Hosers. That was that was interesting. That was an interesting one. Um, and then he did. Oh, the the Jay and Silent Bob reboot, which I actually enjoyed. I like that. A I lot, did. Yeah. yeah, I actually just watched that last night. Funny enough, I thought that had a lot of heart to it. I think I think he was able to sort of find a voice again because I think a lot of the movies that he made like um, Tusk and those things were just kind of goofs to see if he could do it. And mm. I think that Kevin Smith's best when he's focusing on sort of a message that he wants to deliver through some of his zany ass characters. And I think James on bot reboot was very poignant at the end there, especially with, with Affleck coming in and them talking about, you know, their kids taking over their stories and stuff like that. That hit mm -hmm. home for me. That was really nice. Have you been to um, the quick stop in New Jersey? No, I know Greg has. Um, I don't. I don't make it to the East Coast that much, but I know it's cool that it's still there. And I have to imagine that it, that place just occasionally gets swamped by Kevin Smith's fans. So, what a weird, what a cool, like, just such a cool thing that he did. When you start thinking about yeah. like being a filmmaker, like I became a filmmaker and I made some short films that weren't very good, and that that experience was so incredibly fun for me. Um, but to actually go forward and make your first film and then have it be Clerics is just ridiculous. <laughs> It's ridiculous, it's you know. It's insane. I just recently went back and watched it cop out because I'm like, oh I want to see this movie's as bad as I remember it being. And it is. It is it is like everyone's in a movie, and then Bruce Willis is there too. And you're like, <laughs> wow, he really tanked this movie. He is just every scene, just it's like a like a like a stubborn child just chose yeah. not to have fun. Meanwhile, Tracy Morgan has some of the funniest lines he's ever had in any movies in that movie. It's just, he's throwing them against a brick wall every time he acts opposite of Bruce Willis. And it's so sad. I almost want 
Kevin Smith to go back with his original script or with the original script of that film and remake Cop Out without Bruce Willis. Just cast everyone, get Sean William Scott back, get Tracy Morgan back, and then just plug in like Will Ferrell instead of Bruce Willis because that would have made that movie. I mean, it's all sorry to go off on a tangent here, but like it's, <laughs> I get the vibe of what they were going for. It's let's get together, let's have fun, let's improvise. And so you've got Tracy Morgan, who might be one of the all time greatest like improv artists on camera. And then Bruce Willis just couldn't hang. So it's just sad that he was like stonewalling to everyone the entire time. Cause if that had been an actor like, like Will Ferrell, who could have played the straight man to, to Tracy Morgan's like zaniness, you, we could have had gold. It could have been, it could have been genius, but alas, it was not. It would have been like uh, the other guys. It would have been the other guys. It would have been yeah. exactly the other guys. In fact, I think that they talked about having, um, I think I've read something there where the Mark Wahlberg was was potentially up for the role of of that Bruce Willis role, which I think Mark Wahlberg is one of those guys that I give a lot of shit to, only because I want him to realize that he is a comedic actor in a tough guy yeah. action action star's body. Um, it's the same with John Hamm. Every single time I see John Hamm in a serious role, I'm like, "This is not you, John Hamm. You're a comic. You're a comedic actor." who has comedic chops and you're zany and goofy, but you're just too freaking good looking for your own good. So yeah. you need to realize that like Mark Wahlberg is legitimately hilarious when he wants to be. And I just don't buy him as the action star because it's, he's just, he's not that he doesn't have it. You know, he doesn't have that, that, that level of charisma for me. Like he is like Bruce Willis was a great action star because he exudes that cocky dick attitude. Whereas Wahlberg, I'm just like, dude, just fucking, just do some comedies, just do comedies. Why, why do you got to be Transformers running around with a, a CG gun in your hand? Uh, I don't know. It's like The Rock. I, I think The Rock's a lot better in like those. I think he's settled into that sort of like comedic actiony groove with mm-hmm. things like Jungle Book and or not Jungle Book, um, the upcoming Jungle <laughs> Cruise and like uh, what was the one he did? Jumanji. Those I'm mm-hmm. like, that's perfect, Rock. You don't need to act. You don't need to act tough because when him, when The Rock and Vin Diesel act tough. They just look like they have a load in their pants that, that someone has to come change their diapers. They're not good actors, but they're fun to watch. So just be in fun movies. Don't try to don't try to do something serious. Dude, the Rock, yeah, The Rock's perfect. Like I just yeah. watched all the the Fast and the Furious leading up to the ninth one, and like to see him, he starts off as like the the big badass dude, but then by the time you get to Hobbs and Shaw, he's like he's just having fun with it, and you can see that <clears throat> it's it's perfect. Statham's one of those. Statham is a perfect guy that figured it out. So Statham is somebody figured out along the way that Statham's actually actually sorry. Let me back up. Statham started as more of a comedic, silly actor when he did like Locked Stock and Two Smoking Barrels and like Snatch and all these movies. Like working with Guy Ritchie, I think he came up as like, oh, I'm gonna be a silly like a character actor. And then mm-hmm. somebody along the way saw him with the shirt off and was like, what the literal fuck is going on with those abs? And then he became an action star. But I think he is, I think he's another one of those guys that has that versatility. But I highly prefer, highly prefer when he's doing something like spy or a more silly, fun, guy Ritchie indie style movie, as opposed to these transporter style like action movies that are like straight to DVD, straight to straight to streaming. Like he's got that mm-hmm. new one out that I'm like, what are you doing with this? What you're not, I don't know. I can't take you seriously anymore. You've been, you've acted opposite Melissa McCarthy and you were like the idiot. Like this is <laughs> just be that. It's fun. I don't know. I guess that's maybe me, me uh, projecting. Cause if I could be in that role where people just hired me to be the goofball in movies, I'd be like, this is my life. I'm never going to stray from this. I don't care. 
yeah, imagine you get cast and they're like, listen, we need you to put on 50 pounds of muscle and just be absolutely jacked. And you get to be the funny guy in the movie. No, oh, I mean, you know, my, my goal in life <laughs> is to have, I have two, two like bucket list items that I want. One, be on the cover of Time Magazine with the cool little like ring lights in your eyes yeah, where you're staring directly at the camera. Love it. And two, I want Disney to pay me to get jacked out and be like the Kumail Nanjani in a movie, Ooh. but then also don't read any of my social media because they will for sure read that and be like, we had to let Nick go. <laughs> like, don't listen to any podcast. Disney, if you're watching, don't listen to any podcasts I've been on. Don't watch any videos that I've been on. Don't watch any streams that I've been on. Please don't do your due diligence because you will. Eat me. I'm not Disney worthy. I'm not ever going to be in a Marvel movie, sadly. If, if you were, though, who would you be? Who, who would you want to be? Oh, I would... Oh, just a side character. Cause here's the thing, like whoever's going to step into the next Wolverine is that's going to be a tough role. We're getting to that point where now they're having to either recast these characters or the next generation of them. So like, you can't have Tony Stark anymore. Robert Downey Jr. Is like, you can't ever have another Tony Stark. We just can't do that. And I, I wouldn't take that role, even if they wanted to. And I feel bad for like whoever is going to pick up the moniker of I don't I don't know if they're going to recast Black Panther, but like you can't Ooh. step into Chadwick Boseman's no. shoes, especially since he passed away, and you can't do that stuff. So I think just seeing what they've done with like with franchises like Star Wars, where fans just got so polarized so fast and so, and now it's like a, like nobody. Like if you were if you're if you're an A list celebrity, I would I wouldn't touch Star Wars with a fucking ten foot pole. It's just like people are gonna you're damned if you do, damned if you don't mm-hmm. for a lot of these things. So if someone was like, Hey, we want you to be in a Marvel movie, I would want some dumbass no name character to make my own and have like uh, one banger scene and just get in and and be silly and find that fun little magic take and be like, after twelve hours of shooting, Nick, we finally got that ten, that perfect ten second delivery on the line. You're done, and I would just retire from filmmaking. And everyone would be like, when are you going to be whatever Elastiboy or, or Basketball Boy from from X Men? I'd be like, never again. I knocked it out of the park. Nobody wants to see because there's always nothing. There's nothing sadder when like they try to get you back, and the costume's a little different. Your hairline's a little shorter. Like you're, it's supposed to be a year later, but you're clearly 15 years older. <laughs> Forget about it. I'm not doing it. Basketball boy has a guy in gym. He has one line, and mm-hmm. it's, it's your only line in the whole movie. That's all like, I want. He nailed it. He did it. I want so speak. So if you want to talk about the person that I would love to be in life, if I could wave my magic wand and just be that guy, it would be just like you talk. We talk, I don't know if we were on stream or if you're we talking about this before. We were talking about Space Jam and that Bill Murray scene where he just gets to come in and he gets to just talk about a camera, and it's. <laughs> perfect it is perfect like when you go like the director of that movie what i guarantee that's all improv and he they just went they did a few takes and bill murray did that and he was like all you say is bill that was perfect do you want another one and if bill's like no i feel good about that you go i feel good about that too let's move on because you just captured cinematic perfection which doesn't happen a lot uh speaking of improv yeah. Do you listen? So I've been I've been listening to you guys forever, and sure. you guys kind of always dance around. And I've always wondered: Do you listen to Comedy Bang Bang? It's a podcast. No, I do not. Oh my! I think <laughs> you'd really enjoy it. Uh, I listen to. I, I'm down for it. Who is? I know the. Why do I feel like that was an HBO or a Comedy Central show for a while? So it was a show on IFC for a little bit. IFC. That's what it was. Comedy mm-hmm. Bang Bang. I'm googling um, it right now. 
And it's been on for like, I think, 13 years. It started as uh, Comedy Death Ray. It was on the radio in LA. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just the host, Scott Arkerman. He brings in different comedians and they play different characters. Um, oh, fun. And it's on every Monday. If, any, if anyone out there hasn't listened to Comedy Bangman, that's probably like one of my favorite shows. Listen to it every week. Um, but it's super fun. And it's, no, it's all improv. Fun. I'll definitely listen to it. Yeah, I listen to you. I have a billion podcasts that I subscribe to and I, I go back and forth. Um, but right now I'm a big fan of uh, Andrew Santino's podcast, Whiskey Ginger. So I've been listening to that a lot because he does really fun interviews with other comedians. And I love hearing sort of, I just love hearing comics interview other comics about mm-hmm. their, how they got, came up and how they, you know, what they're doing. And it's just, it's really cool as a person who's still just kind of starting out in his stand-up comic career. I, I, it's very inspirational to me to hear those guys that have been doing it for like 15 years, just say that it never gets better. I'm like, cool. It's good to know. I'll just, yeah. I'll just enjoy the moments of, of fun in and amongst the heartbreaking moments. And that'll be good. But yeah, comedy, bang, bang. A lot of people I'm trying to figure out, I'm trying to think of, there's a couple other ones that people listen to that they always tell me to listen to. But then there's the other thing where too many people tell me to do something. I'm like, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do yeah. it. That's, that's too saturated now, Ricky. Do you understand? If everyone likes the thing, then then I'm going to be the guy that's like, oh, I just started listening to that thing. And then Adam's going to be like, I was listening to that thing 10, 10 weeks ago, man. Where, where have you been? And then I don't want to catch up. I don't want to try to catch up on anything. Yeah. Oh, that, yeah, that thing, we're done with that. We're moving on. Yeah, we're done. It's too saturated. <laughs> too saturated, the thing. Uh, do you want to talk about the movie? And talk about whatever you guys want to talk about. I want to talk about any movies. What is, what is your favorite movie of all time? Oh, wow. Probably the movie that I've watched the most is the 1989 Batman. That that might be my all-time favorite movie. And it was a movie that I was obsessed with when I was a child. Um, and I, I read every time in anything, there was a magazine on the shelves. This is pre-internet, obviously. So anytime there was anything about this movie, I was just like, I want to read this. I want to figure it out. It was the first movie I ever knew the director's name for. Um, up until this point, I had no idea that you know, I was nine years old. I was like, movies just happen. I don't, they must, there's a void that happens. And then one day there, I see a preview for it and nothing came before that in my brain. Um, and I remember reading about Tim Burton and I remember, I remember the big hubbub blue of the casting of, um, Michael Keaton, which I was as a, even as a nine year old child vehemently against, I was like, you are not casting Mr. Mom as Batman. And mind you, I didn't really have a dog in this fight because I wasn't much of a DC, I wasn't much of a comics kid. We didn't have cartoon shows and stuff like that that were really DC comics. Like growing up in this void, it was like you had G.I. Joe and Star Wars and those were, that, that was it. So like a Batman movie, I was like, this is cool. I don't really know too much about this, but I do know that Michael Keaton's not Batman. And then um, the other big thing was I was like, Danny Elfman's doing the soundtrack for it. The guy from Oingo Boingo. Like what is, what is this movie? It's weird, but... I liked Tim Burton because I think whatever he had done before that, I want to say it was either Beetlejuice or I think he did Beetlejuice before that because I think Beetlejuice yeah. went into, he was like, I liked working with Keaton. So he cast Keaton as Batman. I was like, I trust this guy, but I don't know about this. And then I remember distinctly watching it in the theaters. I went to the theaters. I think it was over in the Tyler mall in Riverside used to have those. And it was the first show I could get tickets for. So I had my, my mom drive me out there. And I think she just dropped me off. She was like, I don't want to see a Batman movie. Bought me the ticket, <laughs> dropped me off. I came out and I was like, I need to see that again because I don't, I can't comprehend how much I liked that. It's something that I just, I wanted it after reading all these magazines and reading all these books and all these, all the newspaper trades and watching all the E, e you know, ET entertainment tonight movie things about it. I remember just distinctly being like, 
I think this thing's going to be amazing. And I, I, from the get go, I, I saw it. I walked out of it. Mind you, this is even when like the first print they did, the first few prints in theaters were so dark. You couldn't see the last third of the movie. Like you, right when they get to the Belfry, you're like, what? I don't know what's happening. I think Batman's winning, but I'm not quite sure. And then he's fighting like a bunch of dudes up there. And then they get out onto the balcony. You're like, okay, they put a spotlight on him. I can see him now. And they, and subsequently, I think they've gone back and recolored that stuff for, for the DVD and the Blu-ray releases and stuff. Now you see it, you can, you can see everything. But back in the day, it was like really dark. Anyway, I get out of the movie theater and I'm like, that was the first time I remember thinking, I think this thing's going to be perfect. And it was, and it was so good that I felt a, that you immediately feel that almost depression of like, there's a void now. I don't know what else could possibly ever be that good. And then it occurs to you, I can just buy another ticket and watch it again. And I remember seeing that movie three times in theaters, I think was the total number to the point where my mom was like, I'm not giving you any more money to see this movie. Like, I think she actually made a very strategic um, decision when it came out on VHS, just buy me a copy of it. Cause I was like, I'm going to rent it. She goes, Nope, we're going to, we're going to buy you this copy. Cause you're going to want to watch this over and over again. So that was one of those, that was what, that was the movie that I think I've watched the most, but I have like an all time, like five or six movies that float around that come in that I think are just some of the greatest movies ever. We just watched Unforgiven. I mean, um, I I had my wife watch that with me because she had never seen it. It's one of my favorite all time movies ever made. If you guys haven't watched it, it's really good. I think it's on, I want to say HBO right now or Showtime. Was, was that the first movie you saw like by yourself? No, um, I think the first movie I remember seeing by myself was Gremlin 2. Gremlins 2. Mm. I remember my parents were, they were like, we want to go see movies. And they wanted to go see like the remains of the day or something weird like that. I don't know if they came out together. Those were probably like 10 years apart. Doesn't matter. They were like, we're going to go see an adult movie. And I was like, I don't care. I want to see Gremlins 2. And they were like, well, we don't want to see that because it looks dumb. And so they bought me a big popcorn and and I think I got a king size um, Reese's peanut butter cup with, with the soda. And I was like, I'll see you in a couple hours. And it just ended up coinciding that those two movies were perfect. And I remember going in and like, I was like, I'm an adult now. I can pick my own seat. And I just sat where first seat I could find was. And I remember watching it and being like, this is fun. But then I was like, I think that was the first time I ever thought to myself, I don't like seeing movies by myself. And it's, it's very weird. There are two types of people. There are people that like my wife could just go to a movie. She's like, I'm fine. I'll go to a movie by myself and enjoy my time, the time alone. I have to be able to do the thing where you're like nudging each other or like you, you have that shared experience. Cause to me, that's what movies are. Um, and that's why during COVID it was so hard to like, to realize that you missed that. And then we come out and we watch fast and furious nine. And I'm like, ah, oh, this is, this is fun. This is all of us. I can hear people like my friends laughing and at the right moments. And we're having this wonderful shared experience with like 200 other strangers. And uh, yeah. So I remember gremlins too. That was one. Um, but I never really saw movies by myself. I always tried to find a friend and it was like, the most depressed I've ever been is when I was like, I want to see this movie. But like, my friend was like, oh, I can't go, man. I'm like, my mom wants me to do this other thing. And I'm like, what? Tell her, no, you don't understand. We're never going to get a chance to see this again. This is like, well, I'm a dumb kid. I don't understand. That's all going to come out on VHS. Uh, the, I, I always go to the movies by myself. Um, yeah, it, it is. It is that nice. Like, oh, I can kind of do everything at my own pace. I can show up when I want. I can stay as long as I want or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, the first movie I saw by myself, though, was uh, Failure to Launch with fucking with Matthew McConaughey. Yeah, with <laughs> Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> so <laughs> at the time, is that is that, is that uh, that's Matthew McConaughey and uh, Goldie Hawn's daughter, right? Uh, what's her name? Um, oh, I can't think of her name. I can picture her face, though. Yeah, Kate Hudson. It's Kate Hudson, right? Mm-hmm. She's the one that like, and like Kathy Bates is like, we'll pay you to get our son out of the house. Yeah, yeah. 
It's just uh, the worst idea for a rom-com ever to the point where like all of these characters are deplorable. I don't want any part of this. If these were my friends, I would cut, I would just cut my losses and move cities. They, at the end, they like lock them in a room together and they're like, all right, you guys are going to make it out. You're like, you're going to figure this out. It's like, that's yeah. not how it works. No, uh, that's not how it works. <laughs> yeah. But I, that was- we were like, all my friends were going, um, it was like middle school and I got the times mixed up. So I showed up to the later showing and I had to sit by myself and I'm like, where are all my friends? And it was because there was nobody else. Like none of them were there. Cause I already saw it. Right. <laughs> that's, that is like the worst. That's like my worst nightmare is people are like, let's go see this really crappy movie. And I'm like, cool. And I'm the only one that shows up. And I'm like, well, I have this, like, I have this rule where if it's like, if I go to a mic, if I go to a, like, I have these like rules in my brain, right? So I, I started doing like uh, jujitsu like five years ago. And I always, I always said to myself, if I go to the class, I'm going to roll. If mm-hmm. I go to a mic, I'm going to go up. And if I go to a movie, I have to watch the movie, right? Like, so even if I showed up by myself, I'm like, well, I'm here. And I love being, I just like sitting in the seat and eating the popcorn. So I'm like, I'm going to watch it anyway. But I would never forgive my friends if they let me, if they left me out to dry with failure to launch, I'd be like, you're done. You're not my friends anymore. Yeah, it was <laughs> it was tough, uh, but it really did. Like that kind of opened my eyes to going by myself, and then I started going all the time. Um, Interesting. Do, do you guys want to talk about the movie that we watched, Waiting for the Punchline? Sure. Okay, so you've never seen it. So our first segment, first actual segment, instead of mm-hmm. just like just shooting the shit, is. Uh, Enter the Matrix. Ricky, do you have the graphic or are we doing that later? Uh, I do not have the graphic. Okay. (laughs) Okay, so... (laughs) Directed by uh, Matt Hames. Released February 22nd, 2019. Stars the one and only Nick Scarpino. Uh, Runtime of one hour and 16 minutes. and Exclusive to Rooster Teeth first. Mm -hmm. You guys can sign up for for a free trial of Rooster Teeth first. Watch it. And then cancel it. I That's I had to I say that uh, at the end of our last episode, uh, to kind of like <clears throat> get the hype going for this one, uh, because I had just gotten charged a hundred dollars for Skillshare because I forgot to cancel my subscription. Hilarious. So okay, this is great. Now I'm out a hundred bucks. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> um, Adam, what did you think of this movie? Oh, it's it's such a great documentary. Well, well, first off. This this movie kind of breaks most of the the rules for now available, because uh, we hear now available are the keeper of a couple things. Yeah, yeah, naturally. One, The Departed's a good movie. No, <laughs> already wrong. <laughs> Two, we don't review documentaries. Okay. Three, Makes sense. yeah. Too fast, too furious. Good movie. <laughs> you guys are. You guys are hilarious. I, <laughs> I love these jokes that you're saying right now. It's great. The thing is, I, I have uh, no idea how Ricky feels about Too Fast, Too Furious. Yeah, mm-hmm. but I I'm big fan of Too Fast, Too Furious. That's one of like my comfort food movies that I, I go to. I think Too Fast, Too Furious is an incredibly fun movie to watch, and I'm right there with you because Too Fast, Too Furious is a comfort movie because it is it is very low stakes. Nobody cares about that movie. You can just watch it, and it's it is just what it is. But it's got the, you know, it is a two, it's a fast and furious movie, but it feels like one of those weird, like almost offshoots, like a Hobbs and Shaw style, style movie right now. Yeah. 
but yeah, it has a special place in my heart. I mean, the cast is just like, I mean, it's Ava Mendez, right? You've got, Ty, you've got uh, Paul Walker, you've got uh, Tyrese and you've got all of these people that actually Ava Mendez has never come back. Has she? Or no, she had a, she Only had a cameo. A one, right? scene, I think, or something. Yeah. I think to bring her back into the fold, man. She was, I like, I liked her character on that, but yeah, I'm with you. I mean, I like, I like watching all the fast and furious movies. I love one. I think one's still my favorite. It's just, it's so bad and so cheesy, but there's, and it's so dumb. And somebody thought it was cool. That's what I love about it. Somebody that made that movie was like, this is the coolest fucking thing ever. And I'm, and when that watch is like, no, it's not. There's nothing cool about Honda Civics racing on the streets with LEDs, stealing DVD slash VHS players. But there's something charming about it. And that's, I think that is the strength of, of that series and Vin Diesel is that like, it's good in spite of itself. It's charming in yeah. spite of the fact that all the actors are terrible at it. None of the plots make sense. And the action is just at this point cartoonish with how with how it's gonna go. But it's just it all kind of comes together and makes something greater than the sum of their parts. Yeah, that's actually um with Fast and the Fear with the Fast and the Furious movies, that's actually something that I, I didn't really discover till you guys actually. Cause you like reviewed the I think it was the Fury Seven trailer and I watched yeah. that and then I'm like I might give these movies a shot, and then I go went through watching them. And it just fell in love with them. Yeah, I mean, because you on the, I mean, to the casual viewer, and that's what's so. That's why I think it's so fascinating about Fast and Furious is to the casual viewer. Um, if you were to see a trailer for that, you'd be like, "This is the dumbest thing ever. Why would I spend any time watching this?" It's a bunch of notably again bad actors. Like if you see Vin Diesel, what is you don't think good acting, right? You think, "Oh wow, that's the guy that was in the Pacifier." Okay, cool. Yeah, like I don't need to see that. Um, even though he's made some of the best series. I mean, I still love Riddick. I think the Riddick series is one of those. I, I would really prefer him to focus on that um, as opposed to like some of these offshoot, you know, Fast and Furious projects that they're going to be probably be doing. But he's not a guy that I think about that is synonymous with quality anything. But you just, you God, I can't help but have fun. They're so ridiculous. And I think that like, it comes around like it comes full circle where you go at first this is this is dumb and makes no sense and is kind of a waste of my time but by the end of it you're like i needed that that was actually that was actually kind of special and it did have some heart to it and i think it has some charisma that you wouldn't necessarily think when you're just watching the trailer and so i'm not surprised to hear that that was your experience with it because i think that was everyone's experience with it you know i mean I, that was me when i was like oh my god i'm gonna go see this stupid movie about cars <laughs> uh, fast and furious one and I remember watching that. And I was like, that was fine. And then I think I saw Too Fast, Too Furious in theaters because that's what you did. There was, it was like the only movie out. And it wasn't until Tokyo Drift when I was like, uh-oh, I'm feeling something. I'm feeling something right in here, guys. It's called family. It's called a, a, a shared cinematic world. And that's kind of cool. It, it really is. Like once you buy into all of that stuff and you're like, okay, this is the world that we're in, that's when you have the most fun with those. Right. Like if you look oh, yeah. at it and you're like, oh, that would never happen. Physics don't work like that. That's not how gravity works type no, shit. No. Then it doesn't work. But yeah, right. the second you buy into it and you kind of let it go, that's when you're going to have the fun. Yeah, it's super cool. I mean, just that, and that's the thing. Like you need something in your life like that, right? We need, I, I'm a big fan of, of, of watching everything and mm -hmm. watching everything because everything can have merit and it can have value. Um, now, of course, there's some movies that are just garbage and just not you can't get through them because they're, they're barely movies. But there are a lot of like my favorite, you know, I always joke about our my three fingered scale of like good, 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 bad and like bad, bad. Right. But I love I love these the most because these are the ones where like it's Saturday. Like, for instance, 
I was I went away this weekend, and I, every time I go away, I'll load a bunch of stuff up on our on our um, cues. So my wife, if she's like, I'm bored, I'm gonna watch something. She doesn't follow movies a lot, and she certainly didn't grow up like us, where we watched movies for like a living. And so I queued up Murder at sixteen hundred, and she's like, What is this movie? I'm like, Stop! Don't even look at the trailer. Just you're gonna love it. It's right up your alley. It's a perfect Sunday afternoon movie. It's Wesley Snipes, Diane Lang, and they gotta solve a murder at the White House. It's so stupid, and it's perfect, right? That's what movies should be. Like, they don't all have to be Academy Award winning mm-hmm. movies. They can be just dumb fun, turn your brain off, and just enjoy just the art of movies, not film, movies, right? And those, to me, that's an important distinction to make as well. But <laughs> then it went away. Okay. Um, uh, yeah, so going back to the documentary, I really enjoyed it. Uh, oh, thank you. Yeah, I thought mm-hmm. it was really well done. Um, just everything about it. I wrote down as I was watching it. I wrote down a couple questions that I wanted to ask you. Sure. Shoot him. Uh, is Tony Sparks the man? Because he yeah. seems so fucking cool. Like throughout the whole thing, he really is just like kind of like talking you through it and talking Jeff mm-hmm. through it. And I kind of get the feeling that he does that for everybody. Like he's just the fucking guy. Yeah, he's just been around for a really long time, and he's just a really good guy. And he runs mics and he runs shows. Um, and he's just a he's he's an, you know he's a bit older now and he's slowed down a little bit. And obviously, COVID, we a lot of people have have been slower to get back in the scene. But I just saw a couple things posted on Facebook where he's going to be hosting some stuff, which is very exciting for me to see. But he's just one of those comics that's been around. He's had a lot of great experiences, and he's just usually a very very just positive guy to be around. And he's funny as hell, and he's a great host, and he just somehow became the shepherd of open mics and people who are new to the scene. And so when you'd go to brainwash, which unfortunately we couldn't feature a lot in the documentary because it had closed by the time we started mm-hmm. filming, but brainwash was just this place where like you would go and as a new comic, you, you're like, okay, this is cool. Everyone's kind of on my level, right? It's like 60 people waiting to get on a mic and it would take you forever and you'd just eat bacon because you're like nothing else and everything else here is going to make me sick. So I'll just eat bacon. And Tony would be there just hosting and making sure the, you know, everything was going well. And he would give you a little bit of feedback on your set, which is always nice because, you know, usually when you go up and you bomb and then you come off feeling super dejected. So if there's a guy there that's like, you know, in charge of it and he goes, hey, man, that was actually pretty like that one joke you had. There's something there. You should work that. You're like, oh, well, at least that's some direction to go in. And you don't get that a lot, right? You don't, you mm-hmm. get, you get, you know, as a comic, you get two things. You get people who do the generic good set, which means you had a shitty set. And I just want to say something to get you to stop looking at me after you came off stage. Cause we both know you had a shitty set and I don't want to talk to you about it or you get nothing. That's pretty much, that's pretty much it. Right. If he, I mean, if you absolutely have a great set, you, there's two good sets. There's a, Hey man, good set. There's also the good set, like good try. That's it was, you tried. You got up there and you tried. So anyone that gives you actual pointed feedback that you respect is always pretty good. Of course, there are, you know, there's a litany of comics that it's like their first day and they're like, let me give you a couple notes on your joke. And you're like, Why don't, here's one note for you. Go into a room, lock yourself in there, don't come out. I don't want to hear what you have to say about anything that I'm doing because that's my ego not able to, because if you have a good joke for me, if you got a good spin on one of my jokes, it's going to crush my ego. And if you don't, you're just wasting my time. Um, but yeah, Tony's awesome. I haven't seen him in a long time, so we got to catch up. But he's, it's, yeah, the community kind of rallies behind him anytime he does anything is really cool yeah that was yeah oh sorry when i was oh, i was just <laughs> go ahead go ahead <laughs> oh i was just gonna say it kind of like the way the way like tony's shown in the documentary and stuff like that and the way it kind of like almost like precipitates into like 
kind of what you do in uh in like the one scene where it's the older woman who came up and was doing the the Bill Cosby five hour energy bit and how mm-hmm. like afterwards you're giving her like feedback and stuff like that. It's interesting yeah. to kind of see how how he is the leader, like even just shown through through like the way the different people in stand up yeah, in San Francisco act. And obviously there's a lot of people, there's a lot of comics in San Francisco, but we were able to find some of some of those moments that showed you sort of a a, a little variety of what you could get with mics and that that mutiny radio mic that you're talking about where it's like a feedback mic those are cool those can be super positive and that was that's fun and it's cool to see like there, there are certain mics where even some of the more established comics will go to work their material and that that's one of them because it's there's something about knowing that people are listening that helps and a lot of times in mics you'll see people like and i'm guilty of this because i don't I don't want to listen to like the, my friend's set for the 50th time. Sometimes I'll just go, I'll be writing on my phone or I'll be just on the internet or whatever. But that specific mic, people pay attention because their job, they want to give you feedback and, and it keeps people active. And when you have an active audience, you have an audience that will laugh because they're paying attention. So those are, those are really cool. And it's also kind of fun. It's a challenge for yourself to take someone else's joke and put a different spin on it. It keeps your brain firing as well. And I've had a couple comics where, you know, I'm like, I don't, I, I almost I'm ashamed to say I don't get that joke. And then when I when I've said that to them, other people are like, yeah, I don't get it either. <laughs> and like, we didn't want to be rude, but like, we don't understand what that joke is. And then that the comic that said the joke was like, well, and they'll start to explain it and they'll realize that there's one or two p- words in there that they meant to say that they had always not been saying that changes the meaning of the joke. And so you have those moments of revelation where you're like, oh, the reason people aren't laughing at this isn't because it's not funny. It's because it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> and, you know, because that's, that's the thing I struggle with is like in a perfect world, if you wanted to start doing comedy, if you wanted to start doing anything, anything performance oriented, right, you should film yourself and you should watch that every single day. And you'll see comics go up with um, phones. And the reason they're going up with phones is because they're recording their, set, their sets in theory to listen back to that if they have a good joke or a good improv or a good spin or tag on another joke they've been doing that people laugh at. They go, what did I say there? And you're not going to remember it when you get off stage. I struggle with that. I can, Believe it or not, I cannot stand watching myself back in stuff. I don't like it. I don't. The only thing that I've ever really enjoyed seeing myself in and editing were those stupid Doritos commercials that I, I did. So if it's narrative I think I can do that. But if it's me performing on stage, I have all these horrible tics and things that I hate about myself. Like I slouch and I'm too short and I don't like that I speak so quickly and I don't make eye contact with people. I can tell the moments where I'm receding back into myself and scared of the audience. And I don't like that because it's a very vulnerable state to be in, but you have to do that stuff. So if you can find moments where other people will do that for you, it's kind of better because <laughs> I go, okay, cool. I see. What you're... Like, I love having my wife come out and watch me because I'll be like, how'd I do? And she'll go, Meep. and okay, what, what, what did I do wrong? Well, you said, um, a lot. And you said, you know what I mean a lot. And you didn't make eye contact with the audience. And I feel like you're performing to the like, one person as opposed to the entire 400 seat, you know, theater, like, and you're fidgeting and you're walking around and you're pacing back and forth. Like you're on trial. And I'm like, okay, these are, let's, make a list these are good <laughs> like let's keep knocking these out so but you know she will only come to so many open mics at dingy clubs before she's like i'm gonna go i'm just gonna watch law and order svu and stay home the, uh that's it's perfect you touched on a bunch of other questions that i had but i'll just kind of like sure. condense them and go through so they show the brainwash and they show that it closed that place looked sick like that looked like such a cool venue um what other has like a lot of the other clubs shut down and then 
in part with the crowd thing was like how does like crowd size affect you or does it affect you at all is it like easier or harder if there's less people there versus like i don't know like a full house or something it did, yeah it depends so that yeah, brainwash was awesome a lot of the clubs have opened back up so punchline just opened back up um they just did their first sunday showcase last week and and i couldn't go because i was visiting uh, my mother for her birthday which was nice Ooh. i thought that was a, a good reason to be out of town and miss that um Cobbs is back open and they they started doing headliner shows that's good a lot of the bars shift though so like a lot of those venues that you see in that uh in that dock don't exist anymore or they do exist and they just don't do comedy because it's only a matter of time before someone runs a mic like the second you start running a mic at a venue the clock starts ticking to the inevitable somebody says something that pisses off the bartender who's had a couple too many drinks or the owner's there and he's pissed off because he's had a couple too many drinks and he hears a joke that he doesn't agree with and he starts heckling and then the comic gets a you know the people who are organizing the mic get an email the next day or a text the next day saying you're done um, so mics shift around a lot and like the Maggie's mic, for instance, where you see the end showcase where all of us go up, that is actually my friend Austin's mic. He lost that mic because a comic stole a bottle of alcohol from the venue. And we were like, what the fuck dude? And, but these are comics, they're stupid. And there's something about people that think I'm a comic. I should act outside of what is socially acceptable. And sometimes, you know, as a comic that is. That is kind of your like part of could be part of your art is to push the limit and be provocative and do zany things because that's what people expect when they go to a comedy show. They don't want to listen to someone talk about taxes. They want to listen to someone talk, say something crazy that they're going to that's going to get an emotional you know reaction out of them, hopefully laughter. But then oftentimes comics will go a little too far with it. And they'll, you know, I think a lot of people get anxious. They get anxiety. They get all sorts of things that go along with doing stand up. And so they treat that in all manner of ways a lot of its drugs a lot of its alcohol and then you go i'm you pair that with the fact that you're supposed to be crazy and all of a sudden bada bing bada boom we all get kicked out of a bar because someone did something stupid um and they're like it's hilarious i'm like no it's not hilarious you just took all my buddy's hard work and crammed it down a toilet because you didn't you thought you were going to do something that was funnier would be make you legendary and now we don't get that mic anymore thankfully now we run a show on, on a boat that's a pay show so we can make some money off of it which is good um because that he wasn't making anything off that mic but so anyway th that that stuff changes um and i forget what part two of your question was oh um <laughs> <Sorry>. just like <laughs> crowd size like, oh, does crowd that, how size. does that affect you if, if at, crowd, at all yeah it, it definitely does so there's there's a bunch of different types of crowds right there's like when i've done cobs and there's like 200 people in the room it's a different energy than when you do a smaller venue like our boat show we had we did a whole weekend for fourth of july weekend uh we did two four shows and the last show was 60 people all huddled together in the hull of this boat with bathed in red light and we're, we're we set sail and it's just a magical experience because you're just there together and it's a manageable crowd and but when the laughs come they come and they hit you hard and everyone can get in that trance like state where it's like we're a living organism and we're all gonna we're all gonna work together to have a great time and that's that's kind of the job of the host is to set that up and then you've got the comics that keep that ride going and then it builds, it builds, it builds to the headliner who then takes it and, and, and crushes and those people walk away with a very, very good memory. Um, conversely, there's nothing more terrifying than a group of 50 people who aren't laughing at you because you can see every single one of them and people will start doing this shit. You know, and you'll see them go like this. And it's just like, oh, I lost him. 
they're checking Twitter. This is not good. For audio listeners, I was checking Twitter. I was doing my best pantomime. I will not go back and watch that video to see if it did well. Um, but yeah, but but it definitely matters. I personally am at a place where I love performing for about 20 to 50 people. I like to be able to see people. I like the idea of, of I'm with you or we're, we're together. I'm talking to you. I'm not performing to you. I'm not talking at you. You're part of this because they are, because you can't have stand-up comedy without an audience. That's just a one-man play that's sad. So I like that, and I look for those venues. I'm kind of at that place where the punchline is kind of perfect for me as far as like, the, if you want to talk about the perfect environment for comedy, it's like 100 people. I think they can do 200 total with the wings full, um, and it's tiny, and it's low ceilings, and it's perfect. It's so cool, but there, those are very few and far between. Okay, I feel that. Adam, do you have any other, do you have another question? Um, so, uh, I guess my first one would be like, how did the whole, uh, how did the whole documentary like come to be? Uh, I was, I, I think we started doing podcasts and I started listening to other people's podcasts, namely like Joe Rogan and all the people that, that are in his sphere and they're all comics. And I started thinking to myself that they, they just have so much fun as comics and they're the camaraderie and the stories they tell seem really cool. And I've always wanted to be a performer to a degree, especially since we started kind of funny. I love doing podcasts and I love doing the shows that we do, but you don't get that one-to-one connection with the audience. So I was like, I'm going to make a New Year's resolution. I'm going to say it on camera and I'm going to say, I want to start doing stand-up comedy. And then the audience, knowing our audience would go, but they inevitably go, hey, did you ever start doing that? So I was like, I'm going to do it. Started writing. February, I did my first open mic. And then I started doing more and just kind of got addicted to it because it was super fun and very challenging. And then I had a conversation with Jeff Ramsey uh, when we were hanging out. And he was like, you're doing what? And I'm like, yeah, I'm doing stand-up comedy. It's crazy. And he's like, what's that like? Jeff's a very, if you've never spent any time with him or listened to him, he's, he's a really, really smart, very inquisitive guy who's very engaging. And he took an immediate interest. He was like, wait, what? Like, what? Tell me all about this. Tell me what's going on here. And I was like, well, you are coming out to visit us in, I think at this point I had done stand-up for like, maybe eight or like maybe six or seven months. And what happens a lot is that um, bookers who book these independent shows will come and they'll, they'll, put, they'll, you know, they'll put your hand, their hand on your shoulder. And like, you did really good there at that open mic at the brainwash. Why don't you come out and like do my show at Cobbs? And you feel super, super good until you realize those are what's called bringer shows. Right. And they go, cool. Why don't you bring like 15, 20 people? And you're like, yeah, absolutely. And of course, you're overjoyed because you think you're getting called up to the big leagues. But in reality, they're just using all the new people to make money off of because, of course, all your friends want to come support you the first time you're at Cobbs. They don't want to come the 13th time you're at Cobbs, but they will come to support you the first time you're at Cobbs. I should say 13. I've only been there like five times. But yeah. And so I was, Jeff was out doing the morning show with us and doing all of our podcasts and stuff. And I was like, hey, I have a show this weekend at Cobbs. If you want to stick around for another day, you can come see it. I think it was like a Thursday night thing. And and he happened to be there. I think at the time he worked out, he goes, dude, I'll, t- I think he like punted his flight at day. And he's like, I'll totally stick around for another day and come see this. And he, and I, I took him to a mic beforehand. I was like, I'm going to go do a tune up set. And he goes, dude, let me come with you. That'd be super cool. And I did it. It was hosted by Tony down in like daily city. We went to this tiny little club and it was me and like five other people. And they, it was like, it, they didn't even serve drinks. So you had to like pay for like a diet Coke. And they like went to Costco and brought you back a diet Coke. And then, um, we did that, and then I took him to Cobbs, which is the polar opposite. And there was 250 people in the audience, and I came out and I did my just terrible, trashy material that I had developed over eight months, and got great laughs because all my friends were there. And he was like, "Holy crap, 
that was so cool to see you do the jokes at the small shop. And then we workshopped them a little bit and talked about changing them a little bit. And then I did them at Cobbs and he was like, what a, what a just night and day difference. And it was so cool to see. And he loved the process. And that was when they just had started doing RT docs. And he was like, I think we should do like a doc about this. Like we should follow you in your progressive career. And I was like, that sounds amazing. I would love to do that. But you guys have real shit to do. Like, so I will not take any offense if this doesn't come to fruition. And Jeff was just like, no, we're going to do this. And then like six months later, I got a call and he was like, hey, I pitched this, uh, the idea. We're, we're going to do it if you're still cool with it. And then from that point on, it was like a month later, we started shooting. Awesome. Yeah. It's yeah. interesting to hear how, how integral like Jeff Ramsey was to that. Cause I think he's, I think he's great in the documentary. It's almost feeling like an audience surrogate where like through him, you're kind of experiencing like what, what it's like to start, to start doing comedy and that sort but, of thing. And that was the goal too, is like, I obviously was like, I think there was a handful of people that I had gotten to know from the let's play family just by nature of us being same age-ish, same upbringing, same, same general likes um and just you know sometimes you meet people you vibe with and i really i i think jeff's a really great guy we had a we, we vibed immediately together just being sort of like the older guys in the room um the curmudgeons as you will and then james and elise i'll never forget we were sitting at that first like let's play reunion I don't know if you guys watched that or not but they got us all in this house in like la and we were just sitting by the pool and i was talking to those cats and i was like you know you guys are really funny and you're in la and you're doing you've obviously mastered the fine art of online video have you guys thought about doing like comedy and Elise was like, well, I always wanted to do improv and, and you know, she always, she loves SNL and I think she'd be perfect for that show. Mm -hmm. um, but I remembered that and I was like, you know, it'd be really cool is if we got all those guys to come do comedy for the first time. Like I would love to be the person that shepherds them through that and, and like hosts the show for them um, or, and, or produces the show for them. We ended up having Tony come host it. Um, cause he was, cause the director was like, it'd be cool. I was going to originally host it and introduce everyone and kind of have it be a little bit more, less of a show, more of like a, we're just all hanging out as part of the doc and, and Matt, Hain, uh, Matt, the director was like, what if Tony hosted it? We should get him. Cause he became this wonderful side character um, that everyone vibed with. And that's just how that ended up working. So it was really cool to see them do that. And then every RTX, we do another comedy show where it's, we bring more first time comics up to do their, their stuff. And then we, we actually started seasoning in some comics that were in the area or were there for RTX. That was super cool to be able to do too. Yeah. So the, like that sh whole showcase, the Let's Play showcase, was that all like in mind before you even did the documentary? Mm -hmm. It was. We talk, yeah, it was pre like we did some pre-production on it. Matt, the team came out and did, we met and we did a couple, like I think we did a couple days of shooting so they could just get the feel for my interviews and things like that. We did a Jeff interviews and the idea was always to get Jeff to go up and then it became like, how can we capture the anxiety and the nerves of one person going up? And then it was like, what's better than one person? And, you know, obviously from a promotional standpoint, I think this was like a Tim Gettys joint where he was like, what if everyone did it? And then obviously that immediately gets everyone invested in helping to promote the documentary as well, because you did this amazing, cool thing that you always wanted to do your entire life. And guess what? It got filmed on a really nice camera and is edited and beautifully done. And it's part of this really cool project that you get to be a part of. And it's funny because you think, Everyone like Jeff's been in videos that get tens of millions of views. James and Elise have as well. Me and Tim have been in videos that get tens of thousands of views. Uh, <laughs> but everyone saw this and was like, this is a really fun, cool thing. It's a cool project. And, and so it, it, it's like it speaks to the sort of strength of all of the people that were a part of it is that they like got it and saw value in it, even though it maybe isn't the 
you know, the most viewed thing they've ever been at or the most popular thing, but they're like, it's a cool idea. And I think a lot of people, if you've ever been a comedic performer, have thought about doing stand-up, but you don't, it's, it's, it's hard to motivate to want to go do that. And so I was like, if I can be the motivating factor for people, then that's, that's really kind of a, that's like a really cool thing that I can do. Like that makes me feel good. That makes me feel like that's an honor for me to be able to get Jeff on stage and use some of my sway in the industry or in my, in my scene to do that. And it worked out. Uh, and that last bit, yeah, where you guys all go up mm-hmm. and you kind of like pack the place. Was it a lot of people that like knew you got, it had to have been mostly people that knew like <laughs> Funhouse so and I, kind of funny yeah. and stuff. So we did a, I got, but it's so funny. I got booked. My, my buddy who is, uh, my friend, Andrew, who is a, a member of a, well, I don't know if they're still together cause they all kind of moved to LA, but he's a member of this group called Pier 69. His name's Andrew Rolfo. He's actually currently touring or just finished touring with Joe Coy. Super funny. He's done late night and all that stuff. And we were at a mic together and he was like, you know, I don't want to throw you a set. You're going to come out on this Thursday or Tuesday night. And I was like, that's awesome, dude. I'll come do your show. That's super cool. And it was like in the middle of Sketchfest. Mm-hmm. And then it just so happened to turn out that like every single person could only do it on Tuesday. So I, I had, he's the only set I've ever canceled on. And I'll never forgive myself for that because I was like, he was like, whatever, dude, it's totally fine. But we ended up having like, we put the word out and everyone promoted it. And we ended up having like, hundred and some odd people cram into this bar and it was the best show that night it was just so packed and other con to the point where other comics heard about it and came over to try to get sets they were like what is happening here and then everyone and i had a little bit of juice that week because people were like dude if we book nick on shows and i was like let me stop you right there this happened because all of us promoted this for like my team promoted it for, for a couple of weeks leading up to it. But like the power of James Elise and, Jan, and Jeff mm-hmm. is that if they tweet out, they're going to be someplace a hundred people will show up, which is amazing. But I'm like, but that's not me. If I tweet out, like I tweet out all about my comedy shows all the time. I get like five or six people to show up, which I'm infinitely grateful for. Cause it's always nice that I can put something out and someone goes, Oh, that's That sounds kind of fun. And it's cool. They show up and they have a good time. But I think people see followings and those things can be double-edged sword sometimes because I got booked a few times because people are like, oh, you have 80,000 Twitter followers. That means 80,000 people are going to want to buy tickets for this. And I'm like, no, that means at some point 80,000 people hit follow because they thought something I said on Twitter was funny or I got referred to them because they saw me in a podcast with Greg mm-hmm. or they listen to my podcast and they live in freaking rochester and they're not going to fly across country for this this mic that i'm doing or this this small bar show that that, it's not going to happen right so like we see this all the time too when we book headliners for some of these boat shows it's it's just hard putting butts in seats and that's Mm -hmm. why it's so like that's the hardest part well it's 50 percent of the battle is putting butts in seats the other 50 percent is programming good show with good comedy but like it's it's tough um, but yeah, we were able to, to very long and long answer to that question. Everyone promoted the crap out of that. And people came to watch James Elise and, uh, and Jeff do, do comedy. And I just happened to be sort of like a, a fun bystander that got to go up that night too. Uh, yeah. I was always wondering that, like when you put stuff out, how many people do show up and like, you know, what does that, what does that look like? When, when we promote things, like when, when the Olive Kind of Funny promotes something, we obviously, and we were able to make it a big event, you know, people come out and it's super fun. Like we do, K, we used to do KFL all the time. We did prom 
we got hundreds of people out for those things because they became these wonderful like community events where everyone in the city converged or everyone in our community who was able to converged on wherever we were. And it was great. Like when we did the meet and greet tour, we had a couple hundred people every single time we went anywhere. New York was bonkers. We had like 400 people or something like that on this tiny little bar to the point where the cops came out and were like, you got to go. You can't. I don't know. New York has this like non-lethal police. Like they're like the sidewalk patrol who are just like, we're just here to give you tickets. And they showed up and they're like, you got, you guys can't, you got to go. You can't be here. So we ended up going to a park instead. So people do show up, but you have to understand also like people have, it's like they have, they have other shit they want to do. <laughs> they're not going to just constantly show up for my, to hear me do the same 10 minute jokes and like rework stuff. Although there are a couple, there, there's a couple people that, that show up. Um, every single time and it's fun for them to be like oh you, you reworked that joke or you got a new set or we haven't heard this new material before but you know to be perfectly candid i'm not a great comic so it's not like you're you're getting the opportunity to see dave Chappelle at a bar show you know it's it's really really tough and i have a lot of respect for real for people who are making a living at being a stand-up because it is very 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 difficult to do it's it's hard and for a lot of Writing good material is actually the, the easiest part of it. The hardest part of it is the networking, the time, the the energy it takes to go to shows and try to get up and try to get in front of people who are actually an audience that wants comedy. Because more often than not, you're going up at a bar. Someone's like, come do my mic. And it's at a sports bar and nobody knew comedy was happening that night. And nobody you have not seen people more pissed than drunken baseball fans who are like, shut the fuck up. I'm just trying to watch the giants win like shut up and i'm like oh this is my you know my you know these are my parents to have some issues and people are like we don't care i'm gonna throw a beer stein at your fucking head right now that's how it goes uh <laughs> yeah that's that's always gonna be that's gonna be super tough like just knowing the it's audience rough. and then like the grind of it that's one of the things i picked up from from watching the doc was like the grind of doing that and the grind of doing jujitsu at the same time like yeah. holy shit, that's a, that's a lot of work on top yeah, of like your day job. I didn't make it easy on myself. I also doesn't help that both of those though both of those things, um, jujitsu and comedy, require an inordinate amount of time and energy, and they both happen at the same time. So I always kind of felt like I was I was letting my friends that were doing one of them, I was letting them down by doing the other one. And like even last night, I went to I went to. Um, uh, I went to practice last night and my uh, my head coach that owns the studio was like, it's like, when's the Netflix special happening? I was like, well, <laughs> I mean, it's years away. That's a goal, of course. But like by that time, who the hell knows? It'll probably just be an Amazon Prime special because I feel like Amazon and, and Apple are going to win eventually. But um, I was like, I don't know, man. It's hard because you only have so much time and everything is like, I feel like everything is like in, in my life is like, do you guys play a lot of video games? Do you guys play like RPGs? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so you know when you get like you go to the and you get the, the special like thing that's going to let you level up that's the skill tree, but you mm-hmm. have to pick where those go. That's my life, and and it's and it's an ever evolving thing where I have to take points away from one to put in the other. So nothing's I can't max out all my skills at the same time, right? I can't do five days of jiu-jitsu, five days of comedy, and then spend seven days with my wife and also do twelve hour days of kind of funny. It doesn't work that way. You just sort of have to have like five main priorities and at any given time you can focus on three so there's two of them hanging out in the wind and that's that's that was kind of those first few years for me um and i still i I still haven't figured that out right i've been doing like three or four days of jujitsu every week and like one day of comedy which is not good that's not Mm -hmm. the way to do it so i don't know i guess everything's kind of 
that that's part of the hard part too is like how do you make time for your your family and your your friends and i'm fortunate that we don't have kids um because that takes up a lot more time but still still trying to figure it all out hmm. um, i have one one more question about the end of the movie sure uh i don't know if adam if you have any other ones because um, we can end on my i mean okay we could do that um actually uh so what was it like being the subject of a documentary or like having having the camera follow you around and kind of uh record you like what you've been doing for like at that point like eight or nine months or longer doing mm-hmm. open mics and that sort of thing it was weird um it's very weird and it's very but i come from like a production background and i shot documentary stuff before so i kind of understand how that all works it's fun i mean it's fun to be the subject it's fun to have people take an interest in what you're doing and so in that regard that was cool it was also really cool to get you know shed some light on the scene and showcase some people that were working and and get them a little screen time to get them that experience as well because i think there's a lot of people who were actually fans of rooster teeth that are like holy shit you're doing a rooster teeth doc i want in like my buddy alan is in it um he he's a comic and he used to be he used to work the door at the punchline um and so he was like i was like yeah i'm doing this documentary and he's like wait are you doing a documentary for like rt docs and i was like oh you know it and he's like oh yeah dude he's like i know all that stuff he's like and then he met jeff and he freaked out he was like what is this world so that was super cool to be able to kind of bring a little bit of that to the bay area because we don't have you know it's not la in la if someone shoots everyone shoot a documentary about everything actually that's not true everyone's on tiktok now nobody gives a shit about that stuff but so that was really fun to be able to do and then just from a from a post-production standpoint it was really rad to see like i i saw the first cut and i was like Jesus, this is good. Like, this is actually really good. <laughs> and Matt asked me if I had any notes and me and my wife went through and we were just like, she watched it with me and she was like, I think you should change this and this. And I gave him like four or five notes and he was super receptive. It was like, cool, we'll do that. We'll take care of it. And then it just ended up, then we all watched it at, at you know, the premiere at RTX. And it, I was like, damn, that was actually really, really like, I was a part of a cool project. That was cool. And I was able, you know, I wasn't the, I was the main subject, but I wasn't the only person there and everyone came off well. And overall, I guess when you start a documentary, you want to get, you don't necessarily know what the narrative is going to be, but all I wanted to get across was I just wanted to show people what that, what that process looks like and how it can be really fun, but also super heartbreaking. And I think we accomplished that. It was super cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One thing, one thing I really love about the movie is kind of this idea of, Every everything sort of takes time to uh, to accomplish and go mm-hmm. through and, and succeed at, which like really speaks to one of my favorite things you've ever said on a podcast was, I think it was I want to say it's when you guys were talking about La Land or some some mm-hmm. some movie and you're talking about how how in real life or how you felt like at different points in your life that everything should happen like quickly and mm-hmm. it, but everything takes time because it's not a ninety minute runtime. Yeah, there's actual there's actual work that has to be done behind things and it won't, everything won't work itself out super quickly, which, which always spoke to me because I was like, okay, I just want this to happen. That's yeah. Well, you do. Right. Cause I mean, that's the thing too, is we're sort of trained to realize that anything can be overcome in 90 minutes. Any, any challenge you have 90 minutes, that was the eighties. Right. And it's true. Like I, I stand by the fact that I kind of, when I start things like this, because I have this ability to stick with stuff. If I really like it, I'll stick with it. I'll find a way, right? Sometimes I, 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 I stop doing it for a little bit. But most of the time, I pride myself on being a person that just can kind of grind, grind things out. And I think the reason behind that is I kind of make a little bet with myself to see where I'm going to be in five years with it. 
And lo and behold, and literally last night I was having a conversation with the guy. It was, it was like a second day in jiu-jitsu. And I was showing him some stuff. And then we did, we we rolled. And, you know, it's I did really well against him. And he was like, holy shit, like how long have you been doing this for? And I had to think. I was like, oh, four years. And he goes, wow. And I remember having those conversations with people when I first started, like blue belts when I first started. Like, how long have you been doing this? Like you just seem so unbelievably – this is them, not me. Like they would seem so unbelievably overwhelmingly good at this thing. And I felt like I was all thumbs. And then I thought to myself, it'll be interesting to see if I if if I can stick with this, what it'll feel like four years from now. And it's markedly different. It's not to say like, obviously, like if it's a guy's second or third day and we're just, you know, we're we're rolling and working technique that um I'm not going to then roll with a purple belt like I did last night, who just utterly destroyed me and made me think like, God, I should quit because this, I'm horrible at this. Um, but that's just how it goes. It is nice to be able to reflect back on that. And then obviously with comedy, it's the same thing. I look back and I'm like, cool, I'm running shows now and I'm people know who I am and they know me not because I'm the guy with the Twitter followers because I run shows and I want to be a part of this community and earn people's respect. Um, and now I got guys that it's there for, you know, there's a whole host of open micers. I'm like, I don't even know who you are. Cause I don't go to mics that much anymore. Cause I just try to show up at shows and get, and get booked in front of real audiences. But yeah, it, it really is just like success is just like motivation plus time. You know, if you can motivate yourself to get out there and you have enough time and you let enough and you give yourself enough time to do it, you will eventually achieve that goal. You will. Yeah, it's the whole 10,000 hours kind of, kind of philosophy. But everyone thinks, everyone thinks I'm going to be the guy that can do it a couple of times and get great at this. Right. And it's not, it's just not how it works. It's just not, you know, you, and you, and I think, it's, I think people just give up on it too easily. Or it's also hard to see where you're at now versus where you were before. And that's why it's so fun to go back and watch the documentary every once in a while. Cause I'm like, Oh, I think I I'm actually better. Like I do think I'm a better comic than I was back then. I can see it. I can see that my jokes are a little funnier and they're a little smarter and I'm a, be- a little bit better at delivering and engaging with the audience. And you, you do get better, you know, but it's hard. It's hard to realize that. And it's hard to realize the merit of that because like everything else, you know, I think like I lost a lot of weight in my life too. And that was one of the first moments where I, real times where I was like, oh, you have to just let time pass. You have to just stick to a plan, weather the ups and downs and wait and just have patience with it. And it will work. It will. But if you want to lose a hundred pounds by tomorrow, it's not going to work. It's just, you're you're setting yourself up for failure, which I think a lot of people psychologically like to do because they go, well, I tried and I failed. And it's like, well, part of the journey, part of success is failing, right? It's, you know, they, I, I love, I love, all these sayings and adages and things that you learn. But one of the things in the, uh, in, in, in the jujitsu world is people go, you got to do competitions because competitions are you either win or you, or you learn. That's the, that's the L word there. You don't lose, you win or you learn and you're always learning. Mm-hmm. Right. And people, even in that people film their, their matches cause they can look back and go, Oh fuck, this is where I screwed up or this is what I should have done here. Or that you can show it to, you know, your coach or one of the other instructors and go, Hey, well, you know, can you watch my match? And give me feedback. And they'll go, Oh, absolutely do. Oh, you did this great. Oh, you should, Oh, you, you rolled for an arm bar here or Kimura here when you should have, you know, maintained top position. And, and really it's just cool shit like that is, 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 is fun, but you got to let that time go by, you know? Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. Especially with like, like weight loss stuff. Like I was a pretty fat kid growing up. Uh, and then it wasn't until I was like, 21 ish where i was like oh i need to like work out and do stuff and i lost like a bunch of weight good for you congrats um no thank you but then i gained it all back that's what's up though 
Uh, hey, I mean, but honestly, that's what happens, right? Like, that, yeah, and that's that's what. So I think a lot of people go, "I'm just going to do the thing and get the thing, and it's going to be that way forever." Because mm-hmm. we don't see the sequels to the movies that often, right? You don't see a sequel to La La Land where those two called each other up like six months later and banged again. Like that's reality, right? Like reality is like. Who knows what happened with those people? We only get that one moment, the perfect moment in time. But we like if it was a real movie, you'd get ups and downs like every other relationship. Mm-hmm. And there's like I just watched a movie called This Is 40, which I hadn't seen in a while. And it's not my favorite Apatow movie. I think it's a little it's like it suffers from a lot of the trappings of a lot of Judd Apatow movies where it's a little long and kind of meanders. But in this specific instance, I was like, that's kind of the point of this because that's life. Like there's moments where they have these drop down fights with each other. And then the next day, they're just fine. No one wants to talk about it because that's always happens. Family, right? And I'm like, this is the most realistic depiction of what it means to be married and be 40 that I've ever seen. It's just one moment you're screaming at yourself in a car eating a fucking cupcake. And then you get out and you realize how much you love your family. And that's that's the ups and downs of it all, right? And it's the same with, you know, with, with weight. And like I'm at, you know, I'm at like 190 right now, which I'm, I'm not, I don't love being at 190. I like being closer to 180, 175, because that's how I feel I look better. But I'm also just focusing my energy, like I said before, on some other things. And it's just the way it goes. You get, you get, everything goes in sort of like ups and downs and cycles. And with weight loss specifically, that it's just, you, at some point, you're going to gain a couple more pounds back. That is part of the process. Don't look at that as failure. Look at that as like, okay, that's part of the process. At some point with comedy, you're going to bomb. That's part of the process. All that means is it's valuable data that you can learn from of that joke didn't work for this audience for some reason. Why? Let's talk about that. Let's figure out if we have to rewrite it or just ditch the joke and write something else. So yeah, I think people get really discouraged but because it's easy to, but just keep at it. That's all you can do. Yeah. Um, all right. So my last question was about, about the ending of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, spoilers, if no one watched it, why, why didn't you guys watch the movie? But watch it. <laughs> <laughs> um so you finally get to punchline and they finally call your name and it's like our hero did it like hell yeah mm-hmm. right and then you go up and it fucking ends and it yeah. cuts to the credits i thought that was awesome like i really enjoyed that and i thought it was yeah. funny and then they show you do like one joke how did the rest of that set go was it, it like good. it was yeah yeah it went okay like i it was definitely uh it was okay it was an okay set i didn't i didn't bomb but mm-hmm. i didn't i didn't do the way I'd want to do, which, you know, when you go up a punchline for the first time, you want to be the guy that lights them up. It doesn't happen. You know, it's, it's, it's the same as like, you, you want to be the guy that like gets on the mat the first time and smokes everyone. Cause you're like, I got this. It just, click. it doesn't happen. Right. It's, it's again, it's part of, of, I'd have to go up 10, 15 more times before I really get a feel for like what it, what it means to step up in that pressure environment and do well. And you have to go up everywhere else and just and grind it out more and more hours get your act down get to the point where it's just it's just you've got what it takes and have all those elements kind of come together that particular set i did well i would say i did probably mid-range for the comics that i've seen go over there first time i got laughs i didn't bomb but i didn't i i certainly was nowhere close to crushing like there were definitely comics that did better but i didn't embarrass myself and i think we got what we needed for the documentary but as to whether or not i burned bridges of the punchline by by getting up that night is that that's that's a that's a story for another podcast uh because i annoyed the shit out of the manager and the booker of that show to be like come on dude like i'm making a fucking documentary and they were like everyone's making a documentary joe blow with the fucking ace you know 
a6400 over there is also making a documentary. I was like, well, no, I have a camera crew here and an audio tech. Like, I'm making a documentary. Like, that dude who's got the DSLR, who's like, my documentary is coming out next year. It's not coming out. That's not. He's probably not going to finish that. These guys have a budget and a deadline. And yeah. this is the last time I can do this. Like, we, we went there and tried to get sign-off from Live Nation to let us film there. And they were like, we don't have it yet. Sorry. And then we're like, well, I guess we'll just end the documentary with like a, I did an interview. I was like, I never got, I, I'll get it. I'll get to go up eventually. And then Matt edited it and was like, dude, we got to get you to go up. Can you try one more time? And I was like, I'll try again. Bring me a, bring me a, uh, just give me a camera op. And it was someone that actually didn't, wasn't the DP. It was a, another camera op that just happened to be, they were friends. And she just said, she popped by for, you know, as kind of a favor and was like, I'll, I'll hang out for a couple hours and try this. And finally they were like, you know, you can cut like the manager was like, I got word back. You can come in. You're good to go. Just sign this document. And they signed off on it. Uh, we got the release signed from them. And I think that we pay like a small fee to be able to film inside. Cause you know, that's what you have to do when you, you film at like real places. They want you to like, kind of like have that. And then sure enough, the booker came up and he was like, all right, fine. You can go up. And I was like, fuck yeah. yeah. And he yeah he's uh i was like i'm forever grateful for you and that was like the last time he's really ever talked to me <laughs> i talked to him one time at a party but we were both drunk and i was like i don't really remember that very well but he's a good guy it's just he unfortunately has to be sort of the he's got to be the gatekeeper of something that a lot of people want that's a tough spot to be in sure for sure but i, I i'll i give him I, I you know he, he i'm forever in his debt on that one because he hooked it up and uh but i think the other, the other important thing is like a lot of people I, 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 I don't like feeling like I'm skipping the line for things. Um, and it, it just so happened to be like, that was like the year of my, like my anniversary for ish for when I first started going to punchline, which was right around the time that you should start bugging him to go up anyway. So I didn't feel too badly about that, but I'm also just not the kind of person that bugs people as I'm a terrible networker. Cause I'm terrible at getting in people's faces and being like, dude, put me up. I'm awesome. I'm awesome. Mostly cause I don't believe in myself. And also because I feel like if you are good enough, people should see that and just and just and put you up, which is the absolute wrong mentality to have. Yeah. You should work on you should work on your art, you should hone your skills, and you should be unabashed about telling people how awesome you are. <laughs> you know, within reason, like have an understanding of who you are, and then go out there and sell who you are. Don't sell more than who you are, but certainly don't sell yourself short. And I always sell myself short um, all the time. It drives my wife nuts. She's like, you're funny enough to go up at these places and not have people feel like they wasted their money to see you. And I'm like, oh, I don't know. I'm no Bill Burr. And she's like, I know because we live in, you know, a, a small apartment. <laughs> we don't live in a mansion in LA. And she's like, trust me, I know you're not Bill Burr, but you got something. Go out there and believe in yourself. That's, oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I yeah. I had no idea. Like, when I was watching it, I was like, they're not going to fucking show it. They're not going to show what happens. Yeah, and sure yeah. enough, they didn't. But which, which was kind of cool because, like... That was that, that was a choice on their part. Yeah, that was a choice on their yeah. part and the edit. They, we have the full set. I still have it on my computer. Um, But, we, yeah, I did the full seven minutes. And I didn't run the light, which is good. Ooh. That was a big thing, too. I was like, I'm not going to run the fucking light. I'm going to get out. I'm going to get out. I'm on, on stage. It's four, seven minutes on the dot. And I think I got pretty close to that, which is cool. That's awesome. Um, Adam, do you want to? We want to rank this movie. Yeah. So, I ten out of ten. I'm never doing this <laughs> podcast again. Well, so the way the way we rank movies is is very similar to a, a little show you might know called In Review. Okay. But uh, we, we, we yeah we put a, a little little twist on it. Um, okay. So 
we rank each movie in three different ways. So generally what we'll do is we have this, uh, we'll go through each of the streaming services. We'll go to like Netflix, Hulu, HBO, and Disney plus mm-hmm. and rotate through them each week. And we have this roulette wheel where, uh, that's besides the point for now. Uh, so what we do is each week we rank it three different ways. So first is by which streaming service we watched it on. Second is by what year we watched in. And third is we rank it all time. So every movie we've seen on the podcast. Okay. So kind of like Ragu Bagu. Got but, it. Perfect. Yeah. So, but for this one, we're going to make a, a little exception. Generally, we don't watch documentaries. As, as you know, Departed, good movie. Documentaries, we don't yeah, watch them. Watch documentaries. Uh, Too Fast and Furious, good movie. Good movie. Got it. Yeah. Forgot what the third one uh, was already. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so uh, we started a new ranking. So, for. Rooster Teeth first. We have no movies ranked yet. Mm-hmm. Nick, where would you where would you like to to line up? Uh, waiting for the punchline. As far Rooster as Teeth first. as far as the movies that you've seen on Rooster Teeth first, I think it's got to go number one for number sure. One? There's number one, number one sure. bullets. Yeah, I don't know what else is on there, but I I feel, I feel strongly about it. I'd say it's probably my favorite movie on Rooster Teeth yeah. uh, first by far. Yeah, Absolutely. yeah. I might uh I might cancel my subscription and just call it just call it. <laughs> One and I, don't know, I don't know what else is odd. I gotta be honest with you guys. It's I, I love everyone at RT, but it's it's difficult to keep up with everything. I don't, they don't even do the docs anymore. Truth be told, I think they stopped doing them after this. I think, I think waiting for the punchline was they did mine and then they did like one with, about Gus, and they were like, "We're not, no, we can't do this anymore." Which is really sad because they are really beautifully done documentaries. Mm-hmm. And Matt and his team did a really good job, and I think it breaks my heart that I don't think that they were they just don't have the margins. I think, but I really wish that they had done those and obviously the the money has to go to rooster teeth and that was one of the main thought was that they wanted to push the subscription model which is obviously in their right and they make lots of great content anyways but part of me is always just like fuck you make good documentaries why don't you just make them and tour them and take them to film festivals and try to get a distribution on netflix and stuff like that because mm-hmm. obviously that makes no sense from a money standpoint you have your own <laughs> subscription platform you should absolutely put them behind rt first but part of me is like they just like it's a good product that should be seen by as many people for that platform, you know. And and Netflix is a great platform for documentaries, as is HBO. You know, I fucking thought to them that'd be cool. And then I was like, part of me was like, I want to be on HBO. But alas, number one, number one. Uh, but you brought up an interesting point with uh, the Rooster Teeth docs kind of going away because uh, there was one documentary I was waiting for from them. Uh, it's a little one you. You, you might might have heard of called Waiting for the Finger Bang. Waiting for the Finger Bang. <laughs> yeah. What is that? <laughs> You're asking me? <laughs> it's you made the fake trailer for. Uh, That's right. For, Thank you. It just clicked. Yeah. Yeah. It just clicked for me. Ah, it's been a long time, guys. This, this, this stuff has to come back to me. Yeah, I don't, uh, I don't ex- expressly recall what we said in that. I do remember. I think we made fun of Tim in that. Do we make fun of Tim in that or no? I can't. Sounds remember. like I think, yeah. prob- probably something about how Greg sucks and yeah, he's the worst. He really yeah. is the worst. Yeah, we did some fun stuff on uh, on on at KFAF. That's another one of those shows that I'm like, we we got to bring that bad boy back. We got some more resources. Such a fun show. That show needs to be ten minutes long. <laughs> and, not, and not serve ads. I think that was on. If I can get real with you guys, like I love doing that show, but I think the burden of having to do a forty-five minute long piece of content every week killed our energy for it. 
I think mm-hmm. that we're now that we've we're doing Reacts content and we're doing more short form content. I think I want to bring back something like KFAF, but just make it a ten minute long, just a bit, just silliness of me and Andy eating freaking you know Japanese kid cats and having fun and have Roger edit it and just put that out as a series. I think that would be super cool and I think that would bring mm-hmm. a lot of positive energy and subscribers to the channel. Yeah, I have to agree with that. That's something definitely. Cause I know like for me, once like school, cause I'm, I have one last semester in college and once school gets going for me, I'm like trying to keep up with everything, but it's hard for me. But like that shorter form content is nice because it's like, if you have a couple minutes in between class and stuff like that, you can check it out. So I think most, yeah, it's one of the reasons why I stopped listening to Rogan. I was just like, dude, you're fucking th- like you make like 10, three hour podcasts a week. I can barely get through one in a month. Like I need mm-hmm. 45 minute long pieces that I can don't really have to pay too much attention to have like Dr. Rhonda Patrick on it. She's like my LBL acid, you know, statistics and ratios. I'm like, I don't understand what it is. <laughs> I just want to hear comics talk about what their favorite club is. I'm done. I can't do this anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Bringing back, uh, the Photoshop challenge, that would be cool. But I know that there's, uh, that other group, what is it? Simply Sassy, they do. Well, that. Simply Sassy kept it going, and now we've brought it back. We have brought it back, actually. We did one today where we do it on live on the Twitch streams. So oh, now okay. we're using that as an as an incentive for people to come watch live with that. But I think I think eventually we'll do those all those things as shows, right? We'll do a show called we'll do a little piece of content a week called the Photoshop Challenge, where the community makes those things. We'll do a KFAF bit. KFAF to me was always supposed to be like this is our goofy sort of like playground. Mm-hmm. And I think just because of the natural, the, the economics of how we make money, we, it doesn't make a lot of sense for a group as small as us to partition out time to do like, you know, a couple days worth of work to make no money and to not get it sponsored. So it yeah. became a 45 minute long show. And me and Andy were like, this is, we're going to, we're going to do this to the best of our abilities. But then once COVID hit, I was like, I don't, I just don't have the, we don't have the energy to do this. It's not, yeah. And it's not, it's, you know, you get to a certain point where if I can be candid, you put three days worth of energy from two, between two people into something and it gets the same amount of views as an in-review and mm-hmm. in-review is easier and kind of more fun because it's less work. So why not just do more in-reviews and spoilers? We do two in-reviews now. Um, and that's just how you make decisions like this, right? You kind of go, you have to go with what your gut goes with. And I know like, I'm like, I love doing KFM. I love doing comedy content. I love doing the shorts for that stuff. But it reminds me a lot of when we used to do IGN Weekly where we'd bury four different shows in one show because we felt we needed to do 45 minutes. Mm-hmm. Where in reality, what would happen, what happened with IGN Weekly was the same thing we did inevitably with KFAF where it broke out into like, you know, it'll break out into different shows that are five minute pieces of content because that's what people want. But I still love the idea of doing like originals and stuff like that. It's just once we get back in the studio, maybe we can we can take some time to do that stuff. But for now, it's I'm really happy with this later content that we have. And I'm enjoying the fact that I get to be a part of almost all of it for the main channel and almost none of it for the video games channel. <laughs> Hell yeah. Yeah. So going back to rankings. Um, rankings. Go for it. Yeah. So now we have our fil- documentaries we've seen in 2021. Nick, where do you think this this movie belongs on that list? Oh, number one for sure. Number one. I think yeah. So especially since we don't rank documentaries here, I think like that's just going to be number one with a bullet across the board, right? Yeah. It might. Yeah. It might be number one for all time. Yeah. Yeah. So what's the here's my question? Going to the ranking of number three. What is number one on your list right now for the for the all all the movies list? Do you want me to pull it up, Ricky, now to show him our show? Yeah, our list? Oh, yeah. If you can show the all time list. Yeah. Let me see what I can 
do. I think this is the right document. Cool. Let me watch the stream here. Is it the Word yeah. document? It looks like a Word document. Right. Yeah, it says it's yeah. in. Yeah, there you go. Number one is tenant. We're not going to get along. <laughs> we kind of yeah, we kind of stacked it uh, when we did this. What'd mm -hmm. you do? Wait, you did something. Oh, now it just I did says, something. Yeah, now it just says it body. Before. Now it says yeah, Calibri body. Okay, there can you go. get data? Right, okay, so, so I have to look at the document then. <laughs> okay, cool. My you guys have watched an interesting, interesting assortment of movies. It's very it was strange. all random. Yep. Yeah, I think we. we all right, we so number pick a one is one. Number one is ten. Number two is Clue. Mm -hmm. Number three is Odd Thomas, which I haven't watched yet. That's the what's the one with the, the kid from Star Trek, right? Yeah, it's really good. The I, the poster doesn't do it any justice whatsoever. Yeah, I sort of I think I watched like the first five minutes of it. I don't think I can get into it. Number four, a banger, a Paul Verhoeven classic, Basic Instinct. Number five, Haunted Mansion, Labyrinth uh, is number six. Wonder Woman in nineteen eighty four, Hercules, Scoob, Way Back. Haven't seen Way Back yet. Glad to know it's good. Flubber. <laughs> Prince of Persia coming in at number 12. Interesting. <laughs> Above Taxi Driver. <laughs> I think you guys are fucking with me now. Uh, high Rise below that. Uh, White Mile. Don't know what that is. Conan the Barbarian 2011. Why would you watch the 2011 version of Conan Barbarian and not the original Arnold Schwarzenegger version? You we didn't get the savages. pick. You savages. We, yeah, the whole thing is that we do do it randomly. So unfortunately, we had to, had to suffer through that. Got what to see a, some Ron Perlman though. What a oh, Ron Perlman! Yeah, everyone's favorite. Mm -hmm. That's another actor that I'm like, you're a comedic actor, bro. I don't. Every time he tries to look hard on camera, I'm like, you're, it doesn't work. Anyway, let's see. Mile twenty two. The runner, shoulder arms. Not no idea what that is. Catherine upside down. No idea. Hills have eyes too. Great. Running out the, the remake. Rest. We're at least yeah. better than Hills have eyes. I'll put us at number twenty. <laughs> no, we're definitely definitely higher. Okay, where do you guys want to? Where do you want to start the ranking for? Uh, waiting for the punchline. Mm. It cannot oh. go above Taxi Driver. I will not rank a documentary about me failing at open mic comedy above what some would believe is the Scorsese classic. Way better than Departed, by the way. No. Um. And Tenet. Why is Tenet number one on your list? Clue is a much better film than Tenet. <laughs> We're redoing this list. <laughs> yeah, how did... Um... I think it was like uh, the whole thing was what movie would you want to watch? Like, Again. would you rather watch Waiting for the Punchline or Taxi Driver? Oh, yeah, probably Waiting for the Punchline. No, Taxi Driver. It's a much better movie. It's a great film. Hmm. Hard to watch, but a good film. Yeah, it's it's hard to watch. <laughs> yeah. And I think when well, Tenet came out, yeah. that's why we put it up there. That makes sense. I will never watch Tenet again. It was confusing and... It just took way too much focus to watch. I just stand by the fact that Christopher Nolan, like, why do you have to have a compendium for your movies? Like, I don't understand why I have to be on Wikipedia trying to figure out what the hell happened to your movie. As a, this <laughs> just represents a fundamental failure on your part to get across a simple and clear-cut narrative using all of some of these more cerebral concepts. I digress. Where do you guys want? Did we, did we rank this thing already? I think... Uh, I would put, honestly, I'd put it at number one. Because I had a great time watching it. I know. Oh, I'm, that's nice. I, I really did enjoy it. I thought it was really well done. The ending was great. The whole thing was awesome. All the side characters were great. Uh, Tony Sparks is my guy. He's the guy. Um, yeah, I would put it number one, honestly. Right, fantastic. Adam, what say you? Are we going to number one? I mean, there's there's no way around it. Uh, Perfect. How can you how can you not enjoy a good uh, 
our 16 minutes of Nick Scarpino doing stand-up comedy. Our 17, too much. Our 16, <laughs> yeah. perfect. That's, that's the right amount. That's the problem fi- right there. Our 15, too little. Too little. 16, one sixteen, perfect. Mm-hmm. I've always said that. That's by the way, you understand, you guys do know that like one fifteen is what barely makes a movie, right? <laughs> <laughs> like otherwise, I think you have to hit. I think I think it's like what is it? An hour and fifteen is feature length. If it's anything below that, you can't enter a feature length documentary. You can't enter it in as a feature length documentary at fe- festivals. Pro movie, yeah, like that. awesome. Yeah, I know it. Uh, I know for because I had a short film that I was submitting to festivals. I know with that. Like short films, the max length was they said was like forty five minutes though, which is yeah. Otherwise, it starts getting yeah. That's fair. I didn't know that. I, I think all festivals are different. I'm actually really disappointed yeah. because we almost we could have gotten into, and this is no disrespect to Rooster Teeth because obviously it's their project; they can show it wherever they want. But I think we could have gotten into like Sundance potentially. No. I'm saying that now that that sounds wrong. I think we could have gotten into some of the bigger film festivals, but they wanted to be. They always want to be the one that premieres it. And they were like, well, if it's already if it's already been screened publicly, that's not the premiere, and we want the premiere. And so we ended up not doing that. But we toured it to a few other film festivals. That was a fun process, too. Mm-hmm. That was awesome. That was a treat to be able to be a part of that, too. That's awesome. Yeah, I was, I was kind of surprised that it didn't come to anything other than Rooster Teeth. Like, I, for some reason, I thought it was on YouTube, and then you could just watch it. Yeah, it might. I mean, they might eventually put that on there. But it's, you know, the fun of being windowed behind a paywall of a subscription service that a lot of people don't know about is unfortunately mm-hmm. it's a great project. I wish that, you know, Rooster Teeth is part of the Warner family, which is owned, which owns HBO max. I wish that the content would be available there, but they're very um, smart with how they, but they pick and choose their content. They're not like, like Netflix now is starting to put podcasts on Netflix. I was like, Oh my God, what a terrible idea. Like talk about, watering down your already watered down original content with kind of funny in review like get me get fucking give me a break don't do that <laughs> although i've watched a lot of original netflix movies lately it is a crapshoot out there man there yeah. some of them are just dog water they're just little particles of dog food floating in water that needs to be thrown out but anyway <laughs> yeah it's gross yes i think we got a new number one i'm, I'm good right with that list mm-hmm I love Sounds it. Thanks, guys. Um, and then I think that's it, right? We just go to. I mean, we need a need a movie for next week, so oh. uh, we can either spin the wheel, or if Nick wants to give us a su- suggestion from Netflix, we could do that as well. Ooh, a suggestion for Netflix. I let me look on Netflix right now. What's on my queue? Hold on, give me one second. <laughs> I assume you guys both want it to be free on Netflix, right? Oh, well, it's Netflix. Never mind. Okay, American Horror Story. What's on my list? Ooh, this will be a fun one for you. Okay, on my list is the Big Lebowski. Have you? Oh seen my it? god, yes. Let's go. That's your, that's your movie for next week. That'll be that'll be fun. Honestly, kind of guessing that would give us. What's that? I I was kind of guessing if we asked you for a Netflix pick, it would be the Big Lebowski. Yeah, well, it's either going to be that or on my list right now. I have that and the game. Which, if you've never seen the game, that would be a fun one for you guys to watch too. So feel free to pick between those two. Okay. Yes, the game is Michael Douglas, and it's like a suspense thriller, and it's oh, a very fun okay. movie, a very good movie. Uh, do not read anything about it. Do not watch the trailer for it. If you're going to do that one, just go, just watch it. Okay. Cool. But yeah, cool. I've I've watched The Big Lebowski probably like two weeks ago. I rewatched. Oh, it. Don't do that. Watch. Go watch the game tonight. Watch the game. Netflix. 
Yeah, do okay. that one for me. I think you guys will like that Sounds one. Good. That'll be fun. It'll be interesting to see how that holds up for you. So I'll listen to that episode. <laughs> how old is it? When did it come out? That's a great question. I want to say like, uh, let's look on it right now. It came out in. No, get off that. God damn, Netflix always just wants you to play stuff. I'm like, I just want to look at the info on this, bro, bro. Mm-hmm. Hold on a sec. <laughs> it came out in. Jeez, Louises. God, stop playing a trailer. Uh, 1997. Okay. It stars Michael Douglas, Sean Penn, Deborah Kara, Unger, and more. Uh, and it's an interesting. I don't want you guys to know anything about it. Don't read stuff about it, though, because it's like a psychological thriller kind of thing. Okay, perfect. 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 Cool. All right. Cool. Cool. Adam, cool. take it away. Take it away. Take it away. So this has been now available uh, with our special guest, Nick Scarpino. Where can the where can the good folks find you at? You can find me uh, on social media at Nick underscore Scarpino on, on Twitter and Instagram. Please follow me on Instagram because every time I post on Instagram, I lose followers. Uh, and you can find us if you want to watch any of our amazing podcast content, you can go over to youtube.com slash kind of funny, or if video games are more your thing, you can go to youtube.com slash kind of funny games to see all of our video games coverage over there. Uh, we also stream daily from 11 o'clock till about two o'clock on twitch.tv slash kind of funny games. You can see me and some of the boys playing some games, including Warzone. And we played battlefield four today with Bruce green. And that was super fun. Ooh, That's so cool. Yeah, it was fun. Um, now, Ricky, can, oh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> you can find. I was just gonna add <laughs> at Twitter under uh, at Ritz Khalifa. Um, sometimes I post stuff, sometimes I don't, and that's just that's just how it is. Love it. <laughs> and you can find me at Howard AK88, as well as uh, Starroom Studios on Instagram and Twitter uh, for any updates on movies, as well as. Uh, as well as any sort of podcast stuff we've got going on. And then this has been now available this week. So, Ricky. Thanks for stopping by, Nick. Really appreciate it. Love your My work. My pleasure, guys. Thank you so much <laughs> for you. having me anytime. Thank you for coming. And, and let me know what you think about the game. I'm curious to see if that movie holds up. Oh, mm-hmm. definitely. All right. We'll yeah, see you guys sure. next week. Bye-bye. <laughs>